The Money Show. Shapeshifters. It's not shapeshifter, trained as an actuary and got his bachelor's degree in actuarial sciences from UCT in 1984. And he spent his entire professional career at Old Mutual, where he rose through the ranks and was the chief executive of Old Mutual South Africa uh, between 2006 and 2008. He was then made the CEO of long-term savings and then given responsibility for international operations and uh, finished his career with Old Mutual as a group operating officer um, until he retired in 2016. And then he possibly thought he was going to take things easy and take a couple of board positions which he did. MTN and Sunlum were amongst them. The next thing, Paul Hanratty is appointed CEO of Sunlum. Did you come looking for the job or did the job come looking for you? Was there just this awkward moment in the boardroom one day, Paul Hanratty, when you just got the sense that everyone was looking at you uh, as uh, your your, pre- your predecessor, uh, of course, Ian Kirk, was, was ready to retire? Good evening, Bruce, and uh, nice to chat to you. Um, no, I certainly wasn't looking for a job, and I thought they were stark raving mad because if I wanted a job, I obviously would have been working. But um, it's just been a, you know, it was just a great opportunity, really. And I'm not there for, you know, a tremendously long period. It'll just be a few years, really. And it's just a tremendous opportunity to take what's a really fabulous business um, and and make it, uh, you know, take it a few steps forward um, on the African continent. And, and that was just very appealing. Um, that's what Ian Kirk said when he was appointed at roughly retirement age. And he went, no, 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 I won't be around long. And I think he stayed two years longer than he'd intended to. Um, so we'll see how long this... <laughs> This this tenure last because you are I think you are by nature a fiercely competitive person I think you're a person who who likes to win at least if one looks at your golf scorecard and your your performance in the golf courses and uh, as an enthusiastic amateur you you like to be at the top end of of, of the leaderboards in your golf club and uh, it, it would suggest that you have that same sort of approach to running businesses. Sure, I don't know about that, uh, Bruce. I think of myself as a yeah, as, a, as, as actually quite a gentle person in the scale of things. So I suppose it just depends on how you look at things. No, but I mean, surely you've got this desire to perform and to win. I mean, that's uh, that, that, that's the way it is. Um, somebody who knows you well, who's worked with you in the past, says you're very smart and strategic, very good at seeing the big picture and identifying pockets of value and developing products to serve that market. Somebody who worked with you at All Mutual sent me that WhatsApp. Um, would, would you concur with that? As, as smart and strategic then, if not um, aggressive go-getter? Well, people are very kind, you know, when they say things like that. Um, you know, for me, I've always just really loved this industry. And and um, I think it's, it's uh, you know, really clear to me that we play a very pivotal role in building the savings and investment cycle. And I think that's what's so lo- really lovely about our industry. So aside from helping people, uh, create better tomorrows. I think that the role that we play is really exciting. And and for me, um, you know, which, whichever company we're in, um, I think collectively, you know, it's a really important thing that we do. And I suppose the thing that excites me the most, actually, is um, the ability for our industry to to really make a difference and to grow economies, particularly in developing markets, because I think that that's ultimately what what creates a better future for people.
I mean, what did you learn from your old mutual experience? Old mutual, of course, famously went global the moment it could. I think 1999 was the London listing and um, made lots of very expensive acquisitions and burnt its fingers incredibly badly. And old mutual subsequently has come back and become an emerging markets play again. And you were part of that team over time, of course. What did you learn from that experience um, that you are now not going to do at Sunlum um, or things that you might do at Sunlum? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, Bruce, I, I suppose, you know, I, in, in fairness, I've always held this view. I think that wherever you operate, you need to have competitive advantage. Uh, it's extremely difficult to succeed through acquisitions in markets where you don't have any competitive advantage. So, although I think we have a great industry and great people in South Africa, it's really tricky to take that to to other places. And... I think that the, particularly in financial services, I think it's really, really difficult to justify global, um, you know, monster companies. The complexity within them, the regulation, the the, the difficult, ca- the different capital regimes that play out in different places, because these are very capital and regulatory intensive industries, makes it extremely difficult to win on a global scale. And I honestly believe in my heart that there are place, there is place for a handful of, in the banking sector, global banks. Um, and insurance, I'm not even sure that it makes a heap of sense other than for the reinsurers to be global. It's just so difficult. And culturally, it's extremely difficult. And, you know, even if you look at the asset management industry, which in many ways should be the most global of all of our businesses, because whichever asset manager you work in, we're using exactly the same screens, the same tools, the same news uh, services and so on. And actually even stock exchange rules are remarkably similar everywhere, but there are virtually no global successful asset managers and it's just really tricky. So I, I think what you have to do is to play the game in places that you genuinely have a competitive advantage and i think what, that what, what does that mean what does that mean sorry before we get on to what what, what you're yeah. doing what does the yeah. competitive advantage mean where you can you dominate mean, or I think, what I, I don't know about dominate it means that you've got some value to add over and above okay. because you know let's let's be honest if you buy businesses the buyer always pays more than the business is really worth in the short term and the only way that you make that work is to be able to add, you know, value to it in some way, whatever that is, whether it's through IP or technology or skills, you know, whatever it is. And I think the minute that you start venturing into very sophisticated markets to buy assets out of South Africa, it's very, very uh, tricky to add, you know, that value to compensate for the premium that you would have undoubtedly had to pay. So I think for me, if we, if we think of the African continent, South Africa is rich in skills. It, it has at least some understanding. I mean, I think South Africans' understanding generally of Africa is sadly not that great, but it's certainly better than the average um, European or American's knowledge of it. And then but you've also got, you're also you know, doing it differently, sorry, by going in and, and yeah. buying stakes in established businesses like Saham, which is what you've done, and yeah. you've taken big stakes in Saham, and leaving the operations to locals, I think. I mean, that's the strategy, it would seem. Well, <laughs> you 
you know, I think it's so important to understand your customers. Um, you know, at the end of the day, our business, and I think all businesses are done on the back of relationships. So you need to have local management, local partners. And I think what we can do is bring uh, technical skills and a way of working that's additive. And I think it, it, it is different to going to try to set up Greenfields operations and to do it in, in your sort of, if you like the recipe book that you believe in. And each of these countries and each of these markets is, is, is unique and different. And I think it's a better approach because the locals, of course, they may not be able to articulate it, but they clearly understand their, you know, their own um, customer base and market situation really well. So our, our, our goal is to try to partner people and to, and to be additive and to create competitive advantage by blending, if you like, the technical skills that we can bring in an operating model that we can bring with their um, knowledge of customers and ability to serve customers in a, in a really good way. And not too many South African companies are operating in Francophone Africa, frankly. Um, and, and, and that provides an interesting opportunity as well. Um, Ian Kirk couldn't speak a word of, uh, of French. Can you? <laughs> I did O-level French. And, uh, okay, that that's was, something. Uh, I don't even tell you how many years ago. But you'd be amazed at how many of our staff are now absolutely fluent in French and how many of our French colleagues are now very fluent in English. So... Um, there, there are people who've, who've managed to navigate this, this divide. Once, what about India? What about Malaysia? There have been various ambitions at different points to take the business there and to make similar acquisitions and to, you know, in India, riding, people riding mopeds around with policy documents in, in, you know, carry policy documents door to door and being you know, very high labor, high intensity businesses. Uh, are those off the table now and the focus very much on Africa or do they still sort of remain no, bubbling actually- in the background? I mean, to be honest, and, and we've been quite clear with our shareholders on this, we absolutely love India, and um, we we justify the link to South Africa through the historic ties between both South Africa and East Africa and, and, and India. But the fact is that we've been there for 14 years. We have a partner that um, we get on really well with, and we have a business that in a way is quite unique. And, and I often wish that we could bring that business model to Africa because I think it would be it would be a really good one. Our Indian business really targets, it's a, it's a niche business, but in a country the size of India, it's fine to have a niche. And uh, it targets really the um, the bottom of the pyramid from a socioeconomic point of view. And it's, it's an incredible model where we blend uh, credit uh, and insurance together for the customer. And it's a very uh, well-developed ecosystem there. And uh, it's not a business that we'd like to get out of. In fact, it's a business if the opportunity presents itself, you know, we will increase our investment over time, you know, in that market. And again, you know, what we bring to the table is a lot of IP um, that, that our partner values in India. What they bring is incredible knowledge of uh, the local market. And most of their staff, as you point out, it's got a very big staff base. Most of their staff will, will know each customer uh, personally in order for them to become a customer. So it's a very interesting business model. 
We're talking to Paul Hanratty this evening, the Chief Executive of Sunlam. More with him in a moment. He has got some interesting charitable work that he does in leadership development. Plus, does he read very much? Does he read business books? And if so, what does he read? And if not, why not? But that is in a moment. The Money Show. Shapeshifters. So our shapeshifter this evening is the chief executive at Sunlum, Paul Hanratty, minding his own business and then was asked to become CEO of the business of Sunlum. You're still on the board of MTN. You've been there since 2016. You are a chair of something called Intelligent Debt Management. But more interestingly, you're on the board of Columbia Leadership. Talk to me about Columbia Leadership. Uh, Bruce, I'm actually no longer involved in Columba, but Columba is a is a wonderful NGO that develops the youth in our country, and um, it goes into some of the most impoverished schools, and it works to get the the children themselves. If we can, I suppose we're nowadays supposed to call them learners too. Children, um, pupils, young people, not learners. People. Please save yeah. me. <laughs> to, to to really identify. The problems in their schools and communities, and then to take them on actively and um, you know and and sort them out. And what we found is that when people learn these skills, um, it really does turn their lives and their academic performance around. It's it's very interesting. And um, we also believe that young people who've been given those kind of skills are much more productive when they come to the workplace as well. So. They've done really tremendous uh, work over many years. It was um, founded in South Africa by Robbie Taylor. And, and, and I think, you know, what I love about South Africa is that there are so many great um, people doing so much work for others. It's, it's, it's really quite extraordinary. Well, it has to happen. Otherwise, you know, if, if civil society doesn't stand up and if people like yourself don't give of your time, um, then the country is going to be weaker for it and we're all, go- we're all going to be weaker for it. I mean, th- this notion of giving back when you're supposed to be having a full-time job that requires your attention from 6 a.m. to 6 a.m. the next day, five days a week and on weekends often, mm-hmm. um, you know, I guess it, it, it's, it becomes a labor of love and sometimes, you know, you can't keep everything going all the time. Yeah, you can't, which is why I've actually, um, you know, with, withdrawn from there. But um, look, I think as well, whatever we do, you always get more out of it yourself than what you give to other people because you learn such a lot, I think. Um, you know, you learn, you learn about what is going on in our society, which if you're brutally honest, you wouldn't if, if, if you didn't have, you know, those sorts of contacts. So I think it's like super important for everybody um, to try and have something that gives you exposure to, um, you know, what's going on in our country. Um, my children always laugh at me because I like living. I like listening to, um, you know, to phone in radio. And the, you know, the reason I do is because whether you agree or not with people's views, it does give you, um, you know, a snapshot of how people are thinking and living. And, and I think it's really, you know, it's interesting. Because the problem in the business world is that we tend to mix with, um, you know, everybody in the same, yeah, you know, basically in the same in the same business, and so it's very easy to, you know, to think that there's only one view of the world out there, when of course there's actually millions of different views, all of which are equally valid. Are you a voracious reader? Many executives are. Do you find time to read? Is it something that you bother doing? 
No, I you you I absolutely loathe and detest business books. Um, <laughs> I can't I, I can't I can't think of anything I'd less like to read. Um, but I, I do read a lot. Um, I love I you know I love uh, investments, economics, markets, and and I'm um, a voracious reader of uh, you know novels and so on for relaxation. So, but I don't like business books at all. I mean, what is there it? Are, are they just? Yeah, you know, absolutely. Are, are they just too self-aggrandizing? What is it about them that <laughs> annoys you so much? Okay. <laughs> I mean, how much can you write on one topic? And um, you know, every business is different. Um, you know, and if it were actually that easy, we, we'd all be making tons of money. Um, you know, everybody I know always thinks that somebody else's business is simpler than theirs. And if only they had done that, wouldn't life be easy? Every business, no matter how, how, how easy it looks, is actually difficult and requires sort of very detailed um, knowledge and experience and feel for, the, for that business in that market with those customers. And I think that's really difficult to learn out of a book. Um, you know, and I think humans are basically pretty smart, so they figure it out. Um, that That's what's so, I mean, that was the great, um, you know, invisible hand of Adam Smith. And, and I'm a yeah. massive believer in that concept. I think humans figure out the economy and business, and they're smart if, enough to do that. And we, we, if, we don't need books. If you look at the South Africa's informal economy and how it thrives under the most impossible of conditions, I think you're absolutely right. That's the same everywhere on earth. And um, <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, people are just inherently pretty, pr pretty, pretty resourceful and, and they figure stuff out. And actually what we need to do is make it easier for them um, to do business. Paul Hanratty, lovely to have you on. Thank you very much for joining us. The Chief Executive Officer at Sunlum this evening, the first person ever to admit that they'd really detest business books. That goes down in the history books. It's a good one. Thank you very much, Paul Hanratty.